How's everybody today? Well, if you are, if that's as excited as you can get after all that, we are in trouble. Good gracious. We're, are we appreciative of all the work they've put in and practicing, rehearsing? A little bit of Aerosmith. That wasn't right. It's church. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you all. We're glad that you're here. And uh, we're a little, we're, we're all over VBS, so we're trying to get everything together. Um, I know your kids are having fun. I'll take that. Thank you. Your kids are having a blast, and we really hope if you're our guest that you will allow them to come back tonight, Monday, Monday Tuesday, and Wednesday night. They're just going to have a blast. They've got a lot that is already going on, crafts and games and uh, Bible studies. There'll be a skit every uh, every night, and we hope that you'll come. And if you have friends you'd like to invite, go ahead and invite them. Even if they're not here this morning, we would love for them to come this evening and take part. That's going to be uh, from 6 to 8.30 for the next three days, and uh, we really do hope that you'll take part in that. Um, everybody that's helped to provide either resources, materials, leading, um, anything, we just are so thankful for what you've put in and the time you've put in for that. It's going to be just really a wonderful week. We're continuing a series this morning called The Elephant in the Room. And the elephant in the room idea is simply this, that there are some topics that are so big that we just don't talk about, uh, but we should. And so far, we've gone through about six other topics. Today, what I want to talk to you about is something that has been taboo in the church. Not only has it been taboo in the church, we have spoken so wrongly about this for so long that it has caused it to be kind of that hidden thing that you have to deal with, which... Uh, when we begin talking about depression, makes it all the worse because already, if you deal with depression today, then you already try to hide that and you try to handle that by yourself. So, what we're going to do is we're going to talk through a few different things with each of our weeks that we've done for the elephant in the room. We've tried to answer four basic questions: What is the issue? What does the Bible say about the issue? What if you struggle with this issue? And how should the church respond to this specific issue? And so I'm going to continue to follow that pattern. I'm going to continue to talk about that with depression. And um, as we look through this, I want you to know that if you're struggling with this, uh, it is not something that you need to struggle with alone. I also want you to know that there is no one story that defines you. And the problem with depression is that is the story or the lens or the filter by which we look at our lives and assess our value. Uh, and it is just, it can be a horrific thing um, as, as we deal with that in the church. The truth is, millions of people are dealing with it now. If we were statistically uh, correct with the rest of the country, a large number in this room probably deal with depression or have dealt with it at some point in their lives. So as we get started in this, let's just uh, pray together and ask God to be with us as we explore what he has to say about it. Father, God, we thank you for your love. Father, I pray that this morning as we worship you and as we struggle to understand what is our place in this world, and especially when we begin uh, to struggle with our own identity and our own hope in what is to come, that you would give us not only grace to know you, but the grace to see your hand at work around us. Help us to draw close to you and to know you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we look through the Bible, another reason that within the church we struggle sometimes with talking about depression is the Bible talks about the life of a Christian in so many ways that are very positive and uplifting. And it rarely talks about if you're a follower of Jesus and you're struggling, what does that look like and what do you 
do about it. When we look at some of what Jesus taught, he said, you ought to be loving each other. You will be known by your fruits. You will be known by your good works. You're going to be known because you're his disciples and you are following his way. And we read these things over and over and over. And we think, well, that's what it looks like to be a Christian. But if you're struggling with depression, the problem is, is you can't see things through the lens that allows you to do the very things that Christ says will happen by following him. Whenever you do that, in the very nature of the fact that we feel depressed or we feel sad or ultimately where depression begins to sell in on us is a lack of hope for good things for the future. Whenever we begin to look through the lens that there is no hope for the future, we certainly don't begin thinking about how do I love others? How do I follow Jesus? And what does it look like to have joy in this world? And we begin to believe that we don't have any opportunity for hope and joy. At its worst in the church, we've decided that if you're depressed, that means that you don't know Jesus or that you have some sin in your life. And at best, we just hope that everyone is happy and we don't really talk about it. A few weeks ago, I wrote a blog about not having a single story. With depression, uh, there are some things we can talk about this morning, but there are some things we can't. There's no single story when it comes to being depressed. For you in this room, your story is unique, and it's unique to you and your life experiences, things that you've been a part of, things that have happened to you, decisions that you have made. But there are some things out of our control, and there are some things we are not even capable of addressing in this kind of a setting. So we look through some of the types of depression that you can deal with. What I hope to talk about today would be what I consider general depression. General depression are those things that are affected by our decisions. They're affected by our circumstances. It's our outlook on life. Maybe something has been done to us, or maybe we have done something and we feel we have messed up too much. We're going to be talking about some of those. What does it look like to be in this general depression based on our circumstances? I want you to know that before we do that, that if you've come from the background that depression is completely all in your mind then you likely have not ever considered that some of the depression you go through may have some other root or some other source. And the reality is, as our medical profession studies and examines the brain and examines our body, we have found that our emotions very much are not based on just our thoughts and what we think of something. Many times we can't even understand our emotions. We feel it, but we can't really put a finger on it. There are true biological reasons that a person may go through life trying to live on their own, doing their own thing with just an overall sadness and lack of hope for anything that could be good in the future. We know that seasonally that happens. And I think this is just, I don't know who thought this up, but seasonal affective disorder, which stands for what? Sad. Somebody thought that up. Somebody got paid a lot of money to think that up. Seasonal affective disorder is, honestly, it is that reality that when the seasons change, your body does not respond to a lack of light and a, a lack of time in outside environment. And so your body begins to feel depressed and feel depressive. And so you have no control over the seasons, and yet the seasons often will have control over you, which is why so many people will struggle in the winter with depression and suicide. As we look through what happens with a person when, once winter sets in, 
We just see massive trends of people that get down. And then as spring comes, one of the reasons that we love it is because we have more light, more sun. You get out and you get to see more and the things begin to feel lighter. And that's one of the reasons that we love spring. Postpartum depression is another one that I know we've seen in our family where when you've been pregnant and you've been carrying a child and then you have delivered that child while so many of your friends post on Facebook how wonderful and joyous this experience is. There are many women that struggle with the separation from the child in which they have just birthed, even though they're with them all the time. Something that can't be explained. You can't just say, don't do that. Snap out of it. And our bodies sometimes betray what our creator wants to do with our lives. So we struggle in that way. There are those, and we have friends and family as well, that have struggled with just basic chemical imbalances. It is possible that you, the circumstances in your life given to someone else would, would make you the most wonderfully joyous and happy person with a great outlook on the future and looking forward to all things that, is, that are coming your way. Yet those same circumstances and events in your life, because your brain functions differently, processes it in a depressive way, in a way that says this is not good. Nothing good is going to happen. And the reality is there are a lot of people that struggle with a biological reason. And with every biological cause of depression, there is often a biological intervention to help with that depression. And we don't talk about that in the church either. Because we shouldn't take medication to help us feel better. We should trust in Jesus, right? Now, the problem with thinking like that is that we begin to believe that a good Christian who loves God and that God loves them lives a life that everything is even and happy and wonderful. We're pooping rainbows and we're seeing butterflies fly all around us. We're just, I'm a good Christian. God loves me. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, right? Of course, that's the way we think of it. We would never say it. And ultimately, we know that is not true. But we believe that that's the life of a good Christian. Yet, interestingly enough, we will find that depression causes us to lose focus of the things that bring us those wonderful times of life in Christ. Depression and anxiety, you'll find, are not the same, but they're often related. If you're struggling with depression today, you are probably struggling with some level of anxiety, that anxiety being birthed from the lack of hope and the belief that everything's going to be bad anyway. So as soon as something else comes your way, the assumption is going to be bad because everything's bad begins to increase the amount of anxiety that you feel, although they're not the same. They are so related. We're not going to talk a lot about anxiety, but that is, those are two sides of the same coin. It causes you to lose focus on what is good because it causes you to dwell on what is, or worse, what could be bad. I just feel that it's going to be bad. I don't know why. I don't have any reason to think, but I just feel that it's going to be bad. As we look through and ask the question, well, what does the Bible say about depression? The number one verse that is often quoted has really nothing to do with this emotional state. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You heard this, right? God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And we have begin to change the meaning of that to believe God will not put anything on you that you can't handle. 
And some of us have believed that, and we think, God, I know you think I can handle this. And now we have kind of the passive-aggressive victim mentality that says, God must think I'm awesome if I can handle this. You seen those? And yet, if we were to truly survey all of Scripture, we would find that God gives his followers much more than they can handle on a regular basis and tells them to be excited that this is happening to you. Because God knows that whenever we're comfortable and everything's good and everything's just wonderful and happy, we have zero motivation to change. I'm right where I want to be. Happy. Everything's good. I don't want to go anywhere and I don't want to do anything. I feel good. And so we ignore the reality that God does allow us to have more than we can handle. But if you have believed in your heart that only good Christians live happy lives then you probably have at some point given up on God or blamed him for the state that you deal with on an everyday basis. If we look through at biblical leaders, did you know that a number of the biblical leaders that you know about dealt with depression to an extreme amount at times? Moses, who was a great man of faith, who led the slaves out of Egypt and led them into a nation of milk and honey, struggled with depression. Numbers eleven thirteen through 15, it says, Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, then I may not see my wretchedness. For a person with depression, the thought is often there. I just wish it was over because there's nothing worth living for in this world. God, just take me. And while some do follow through with that little voice saying that in their minds, most just quietly live with it kind of in the background, just like Moses did. I can't deal with this. Just take my life. Jonah said, Whenever he saw what God was going to do to Nineveh, he said, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's Jonah. Swallowed by a whale, he should be a pretty faithful fellow, right? So we look through at the words of Jesus in Matthew 26, verse 37 through 39. It says, And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his faith and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He literally took some of his closest disciples and he said, pray with me because I am so sorrowful. I am struggling. That's our Savior, God, right? It was through the power of Jesus that all was created. It was through God's love for him and relationship with his son that he allowed him to die and be born, or not be born again, but be resurrected so we could be born again. That's Jesus who struggled to be sorrowful, even to death. As we read about Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, and we think Paul had it together. He knew what he was talking about. He was a confident guy, and he'd set the tone for much of what the church would ever become says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. 
That is a feeling that doesn't require description for a person that struggles with depression. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. He wrote in the letter to Philippians Chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Still saying, it is better for me to die than to live in this place. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire to, to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You see, when we look through some of the great leaders through Scripture, we find that they struggled at times with a desire to even live, much less have hope in their current circumstances. And we don't know what the cause of all their depression was. Many of them were circumstantial, and that's why we're going to focus our time this morning on what does it look like if you're dealing with general depression, if you're dealing with chemical imbalance or postpartum depression, if you're dealing with seasonal affective disorder or some other biological cause, I'm going to encourage you to talk to a physician, and there is nothing wrong with doing that. I would certainly want to pray that God would deliver me from anything, but if I break my leg, I'm not going to pray for God to heal my leg. I'm going to go to the ER. Amen. We live in a broken world. We live in a place where not only is creation broken and not only is it suffering, scripture literally says it is so broken. It cries out for a savior, but we deal with the brokenness of this world as well. I've challenged you before that what would happen for those who say they're Christians if Heaven was taken off the table and all we had was this time on earth. When we die, we really died. Would we still want to follow Jesus? And I think that is very true and it's a very good challenge for us to recognize that God wants us to be active in our relationship with him now, not just hoping for something that will be. But I do believe this is one of the reasons that heaven is so prolifically spoken about in Scripture. It is to remind us this is a broken place and this is not the best that there is to come. And that's why we have faith and we have hope. Do you know what? There's a better place than this. If you're thinking, I don't know why anybody would want something better than this, then you're not living in the world, you're not watching TV, and you have no idea what's going on in politics. Amen? It's very easy to look at the world and our circumstances. If you listen to those who are forecasting our financial future, we're all going to be living on the street within about 30 minutes. And there's really no hope for what's going to happen with our nation. See, what we have discovered, what psychologists have discovered, what news media outlets have discovered, what political campaigns have discovered, is that fear and depression sells. Because we will do anything to get out of those feelings. We will buy any product, we will do whatever somebody tells us, or we'll vote for anybody that promises that things will be better, even if they can't make them better. See, we live in a general state of brokenness in this world, and once we understand that, we recognize the great gift of a Savior who came to rescue us in the midst of the brokenness. I want to share one story in particular with you from the Old Testament about Elijah. Elijah went through another period himself where he struggled with depression. And I think not only do we see a very good description of what that looks like and why it happens for many people, 
We also see how God works through depression. And I believe that this is something that we can learn from ourselves. It comes from 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, you've already seen on the screen that you can follow along on YouVersion. And all this stuff is on there as well. Just click on events and you'll be able to find Journeys event and follow along. You can save those. You can send those to yourself as well if you'd like to keep, to keep those notes on the record. And <clears throat> excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 19, we find the story of, of uh, Elijah and King Ahab. And let me give you just some background before we jump into the, to the part I really want to get to. At this point, uh, the, the followers of, of God have truly turned away from him. And they've accepted the false idols of their neighbors, uh, the, the idols of Baal. And because of that system, like religious systems today, they had created entire networks to this false religion. They had uh, priests and they had prophets and they were just swarming the nation of Israel. And Elijah was so overcome that he could not stand that they had turned their backs on God. And so he came and he said, we must change this. And so he challenged the prophets of Baal, which there were almost 500 of them. He, he challenged them to this competition, which was pretty ingenious. He said, let's, let's have a little test between my God and yours. And here's what we're going to do. Let's see who can cause a sacrifice to burn without any fire. And so they each tried and the prophets of Baal came and they brought their sacrifice and they prayed over it and they did their whatever they were going to do to try to get Baal to cause it to, to, catch on fire and it never happened. And then it came to Elijah's turn. And so he said simply this, okay, let's see what my God can do. And he covered it in water and he put a trench of water around it and he prayed and God, it says God sent fire and the sacrifice was engulfed. At that point, the people recognized that Elijah's God was a real God and the prophets of Baal were trying to peddle something that wasn't true. And Elijah said, round up all the prophets of Baal, and they took them to a place, and they killed every single one of them. Word got back to King Ahab and his terrible wife Jezebel, and she got a little upset with Elijah for this. This is where we're going to pick up the story, chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as a life of the one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow, may I be killed myself. Verse three, it says, then he was afraid. Much of depression is built around fear. Not just what has happened, but what will happen. A general sense that everything bad is settling upon me and I'm not a person who is due or worth something good happening. We become afraid. It says he became afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. As we look through all of these examples, what we will find is that you will never be spiritual enough to be immune to depression. It will not happen. In fact, the more that God uses you and puts you in difficult circumstances, the more the enemy is going to try to let depression settle upon you so that you cannot accomplish what God has sent you to do. God uses broken people because God rescues broken people. 
And when people see that, they will be moved and they will turn to him. So we see in Elijah, yet again, another incredible leader saying, I'm just ready to die. I don't, I don't even deserve to live. Now, I want you to keep in mind, this has happened right after he saw an incredible miracle of God. He just beat the 500 prophets that he was up against. And he saw God burn a, a, a water-soaked sacrifice without any fire on his part. He has just seen God do incredible things, which just shows what depression can do. You can go from the very high to the very low in a moment. You will never be spiritual enough to be immune to depression. As we pick up his story, chapter 19, verse 5, it says, And he lay down, and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, What would you expect? Let me just stop here. What would you expect the angel to say to him? I know you've just read it, so you know. But if you hadn't read it, what would you have expected the angel to have said to him? What's wrong with you, right? Don't you see what I've done for you? I mean, when's it going to be enough, right? Of course, that's not what he said. But that is what we think that God is going to say. Because we're already depressed. We're already expecting the worst. And even though God shows his love in so many incredible ways, the ways he encourages us and he inspires us, the way that he rescues us, that is why depression is so prevalent and so terrible in our world is because we begin to forget all of those things. But instead, the angel said, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mouth of God. We begin to see how God worked with Elijah through his difficult time. And the first one was simply this, take a step. It wasn't be more faithful. It wasn't be more spiritual. It wasn't to stop thinking these thoughts. Just eat. Just move. Time and time again, when you're in the midst of a depression, the problem is is you shut down all the healthy things that can help you get out of it. You shut down your relationships. You shut down being healthy. If you're a person who exercises, which we should all be people who exercise, you stop exercising, and that begins to cause your body to work against you because your body, in the midst of exercise, actually pumps you full of things that makes you feel better about life. But depression causes us to just sink into despair and to ignore all of those things, to close up in a little fetal position in the corner, just wishing we would just die. That's where it ends. That's where it takes us. And what God did through that angel was simply say, take a step. Eat. Move around. Get going. Keep moving. There's many times that I've talked with people and I've looked at my own life in difficult times and it's simply been the best advice. Keep going. Things will change. The second thing that he did that we read about in these next few verses that he stopped to seek and listen for God. Now, as soon as he kept moving, he knew that wasn't enough because it's not enough to simply survive and exist. 
We've got to get moving somewhere, somewhere out of this place where we are. And this is what we read about. Verse 9, it says, There he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, this is a wonderful question that many of us need to acknowledge God asks us. God knows exactly what Elijah's doing there. Elijah knows God knows exactly what he's doing there. Yet the truth is, God wants to know, does Elijah really know what he's doing there? See, many times God asks us these questions not because God doesn't know. It's because we have failed to be introspective. We have failed to stop and ask ourselves what is really going on. And what depression does is it allows your emotions to overtake your rationale for what you, where you are in life and you ignore what has gotten me to this place we ignore it and so god asks elijah what are you doing here he said <coughs> excuse me i have been very jealous for the lord I, i've been really good spiritually god i mean i've really worked for you i have been very jealous for the lord the god of hosts For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. It's got some pretty important circumstances leading for some depressive feelings, right? They've killed everybody else, and they're coming for him. They seek my life to take it away. In verse 11 it says, And he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But listen, the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, this is the way many of us work, and whether you deal with depression or not, many of us walk through life looking for God to speak exactly the way God doesn't speak. I myself do that. So you're in good company. There are times I pray, God, just make it clear. Come on. Just do something. And God doesn't make it clear and he doesn't do something. God didn't show up in the wind. He didn't show up in the fire. didn't show up in the earthquake. He didn't show up in any of the things that it was so easy to point to and say, there he was. That's God moving. I have my answer. Sometimes we pray, God, if you would just take my boss, if you won't take me, you shouldn't pray that either. Although most of you in here probably at some point in your life have. It's hard to take your employees, yeah. Uh, He'll be hiring here shortly, so if you need a job, go see Don. God doesn't often show up in, God, just write me a big check and put it in my mailbox. Because if we're honest, most of us or a lot of us, depression is focused on financial things. It's the reason that marriages dissolve because of money. It's the reason that we look at Money is the thing that sustains us and we fear what's coming in the future or what we've done in the past or how are we going to live in the future. Yet God doesn't often write big checks and leave them in your mailbox. He does sometimes. 
God doesn't often respond in the ways that we want him to that are the most obvious and the easiest for us to see it and do something about it. If we could come here on a Sunday morning and we set this table up here and none of us showed up, but Jesus himself just appeared right in front of that table and was able to speak to us about every one of our individual issues, wouldn't that be a place to be? You could not contain that kind of a church. But that's not the way he works. As much as we want him to, as much as it seems like it would be easier, he wasn't found in any of those things. He was found in the low whisper, which tells us something about God. It also tells us something about ourselves. Most of us really don't like to be quiet enough to hear a whisper. We really want to be active and busy so that we have to see something outrageous to get our attention. See, God is always in the whisper. He's always in the whisper because you have to quiet yourself to hear him. That was the reason he asked him the question, why are you here? It was because he needed him to be quiet and to think through what's happening. He needed to have a time where he could just be still. And for many of us, we think, why am I praying about this and nothing's happening? The truth is, and we're not being still and quiet enough to hear what God is saying. What if God has been speaking to you the whole time? You see, it doesn't say that the whisper wasn't always there. He just wasn't in the most obvious places. But are we still and quiet? This is another thing that makes depression such a terrible thing. It's because we are often still and quiet when we're depressed, yet we don't actually listen for the voice of God through it because we assume he won't speak to us. But as we look through the life of Jesus, can you truly find a person that Jesus came in contact with that was struggling and broken that he didn't have compassion on, that he stayed there with them to help them? You cannot. Now, there are plenty of people he didn't have compassion on. Let's be honest about that. But none of them were still in quiet and in need and broken and recognized it. He didn't have compassion on the Pharisees. He didn't have compassion on the religious leaders. He didn't have compassion on the people that were doing the breaking of other people. But if you were broken and you were in need, he was there. That hasn't changed. God is always in the whisper. One of the benefits of being depressed is it does require you to be still and quiet. And so in that time, we have to shift our focus to what he is saying, not what we're telling ourselves. Let's keep going. First Kings nineteen fifteen says, And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall, not, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, and shall appoint him to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meolah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that right. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is what I would say to what happens for Ahab. I'm sorry, not Ahab, for Elijah. Often... When you're struggling with depression, you have lost hope and expectation of good things to come. You just expect bad things. But even in this situation, God didn't say, 
Elijah, you haven't been faithful. Elijah, you've messed up. I can't use you anymore. Elijah, what in the world were you thinking? Why didn't you just do what I told you to do? But instead he ministered to him, he spoke to him, and then he put him to work back for the purpose for which God had created him. God continues to use those who struggle with depression. God continues to use those who think they have nothing in which to contribute. Those who deal with fear and those who struggle. And what I have found are those that know what it's like to walk through depression and can come out the other side have great compassion for those still trapped in it. That is what scripture tells us about how God works with depression. He wants to restore and he wants to heal and he wants to use you and he wants to minister to your needs. I want you to know that God still has a plan for you. So what if you struggle with this? I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of stuff to, to go do, but there is one very important thing. In order to get there, I think you have to know some of the roots of what you're dealing with. You have to know that you are struggling with hope. The issue is a lack of hope. The issue is not personal value. The issue is hope that you are missing. And certainly we can know we have hope in Christ, but you need to know that you are struggling with hope for what's happening in your life. You need to also understand that you are struggling with the effects of sin. And I don't mean that you have screwed up, therefore you have been plagued with this. I mean we live in a broken world. Many times our depression is linked to poor choices that we have made. And we know it. And we feel like we deserve this now. You need to understand you are struggling with the effects of sin. The enemy absolutely loves shame and guilt. Because it feeds itself and leads you downwards. You also need to understand if you have physical origins for this. Is this run in your family? Can you find different times of the year that this is obviously worse? If you talk to your physician about this, you need to understand there are some true physical origins. There are other things that can happen physically. Many struggle with bipolar. And you can feel wonderful one moment and you're ready to conquer the world and the next moment you're in utter despair. And you don't understand what... How did I get there? And your friends don't understand. And they look at you and go, but you were so good yesterday and happy. And today you're so down in the doms. Certainly prayer is necessary. But perhaps a physician is necessary as well. God has gifted us with the ability to learn how to heal the body when it is broken. You also need to know part of the roots of this that you are missing the big picture of what's going on in life. You are hyper-focused on a few very small negative things, but yet God is doing something so much bigger around you. And while you may not be able to force yourself to see it, you can know it and tell yourself, this is, God is bigger than this. I know that it's possible in life that we can become so busy or we can become so distraught that we go so fast and we're so focused that we miss the beauty of everything around us. I know this about myself, that when I get so busy that I'll notice I drive a lot and I will drive down the road and the only thing I see is the pavement. But when I stop to breathe and I stop to heal and I stop to see the bigger picture, I notice the sky and the trees. The birds and the crickets, the frogs. But I don't see any of that. 
I'm super focused on just one thing. We have to stop and be still and be quiet to see the bigger picture. Another root of the, for the, a lot of our problems are, quite honestly, unrealistic expectations. We have expectations that things are going to be so wonderful and perfect, and yet they're not because they're just not realistic. And because we don't meet them, we feel like we failed. It's so important that we have realistic expectations of ourselves and others. Overall, with this kind of generalized depression that I've talked about, there are two specific issues that cause all of those things. One is things that have been done to you. You've experienced something bad in life. Lost your job, been abused, seen someone you love suffer. Something has happened to you. The second route are choices that you've made. There are times that I am in a place of despair because I have made poor choices that put me there. And I have to recognize that. I'm not saying if this is beyond the physical causes where your emotions belie what's truly going on in your circumstances. then that is often because we have made poor choices. Stop ignoring this state that you're in. Stop ignoring that this is the reality that you're in. Pretending that things are better than they are. Recognize this is where you are in life. Stop sweeping it under the rug. I would also encourage you to stop being a victim. Because here's what depressed people do. They find people responsible for their bad whatever. Depressed people blame people. Rather than looking for true source of healing. Recognize that. Now, if you're thinking, I know, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it was a bad Christian. This is the way it works. It doesn't make you a bad Christian. This is why it is so bad. This is the way it works. And once you begin blaming others or you begin blaming everything that happens in your life, you begin cutting off those things that could really be there to help you heal. Stop being a victim. And while this seems so simple and it seems almost too simple, I just tell you that I believe that this is the most important aspect of dealing with depression. It is to put your eyes on Jesus and never take them off. So he has a way of changing the way we see things, changing the way we live our lives, changing the way we understand the big picture. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Continue to focus on him. Understand that Jesus is still making old things new. Revelation 21 says, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write these down for these words are trustworthy and true. Focus on what Jesus wants to say to you. Let me also say just practically, don't do life alone. Don't do life alone. Stay focused 
on your relationships. Let them come and be a part of your life. Also, I would encourage you to stop asking God to change your circumstances and ask Him to start changing you. See, ultimately what we need is we need a change of perspective. We need a change of heart. Paul said it best. We were at a place where we wanted to die. We thought we had nothing left, and yet God rescued us. Start asking God to change you rather than just changing your circumstances. The last question, how should the church respond? That's a hard one. The church should respond like many of our other issues we've talked about so far. It has to be a safe place to be able to come and to share what you're struggling with. We have a great small group that meets on Wednesday nights. I think they're doing every other Wednesday night through the summer called Chaos Management that meets here. And it's a great place to come and talk about some of the issues that you're struggling with. When we keep those inside and we don't really let those out and let other people in on what's happening, we hear one voice in our head, and that voice is a very negative voice. You need to invite others to be in there with you. Now, if you're hearing voices and no one's in the room, that's another talk. But in this case, you need other voices in the room. Amen? We need to know as a church that we need each other. We can't do this alone. We were never expected to do this alone. Jesus says the disciples are going to take care of each other, lean on each other, carry each other's burdens. We've got to have each other, and we can't just be there for each other when things are good. We have to be there for each other when things are bad. When we know somebody's struggling, we see the look on their face. I've had times where people have come up to me and say, Mark, you just look so burdened. And I didn't even know it. And yet as we begin to talk, we get let things out, can really recognize, man, I didn't realize all this was going on. We need to deal with this. We need each other, and we need each other not just when things are good. You've got to be willing to come alongside others who are struggling. Now, I know that you feel like you're not capable. You don't have anything to give them, but I'm telling you, you do. Some great ways you can do that here in safe places is certainly on Sunday mornings, though it's really hard to get to know people on Sunday mornings. Small groups are a wonderful time, whether it's chaos management or one of the small groups that meets in homes or meets here. They're great opportunities to be in relationship with other people with similar goals. We've got to build true friendships with people. True friendships don't just see each other once a week and say, how's it going? But they truly invest in each other's lives. How are you doing? What can I do to be a part of your life? At times we have to ask hard questions. The reason we don't ask hard questions is we fear we don't have good answers. But I would encourage you to ask those questions. Two last things I would share with you are this. If you are struggling with depression, do not abandon your responsibility in this. No one else is going to come alongside and fix this for you. There are steps that you need to take. You can see that what I'm proposing is that you begin to change your perspective on things that are going on in your life and the only way you can do that is go to the one that can truly change us and our perspective and that is fixing our eyes on christ that's where we have to go if you're struggling and you don't know where to go next you don't know what to do next spend time praying crying out to god being quiet so you can hear that low whisper as it comes along 
If you're right now praying and asking for God to do some huge miracle and it's going to change everything, if I'll just get this job or if we'll just get out of this debt or if we'll just do this or that, recognize that is not often how God works. He could, but if that's what you're waiting for, you're going to miss the whisper because that's what God is saying right now. Overall, in in all of this, I want you to know that Jesus is bigger than your brokenness. He can shoulder it. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He is still making that promise and still offering that to us if we will take him up on it. So my encouragement to you is this. Let us stay focused on the one who can truly bring healing. If you've been struggling with depression for long periods of time or if you have had long periods of time and then you feel good and then you go through another long period of depression, I'm just going to tell you straight up, you need to speak to somebody. You need to find a counselor or you may need to talk to your doctor. There is something called clinical depression in which if you are going through a depressive period of time in your life that is at least six months or more or you ever have before, it is likely has a physical base that you may need some help with. If I break my arm, I'm going to the ER. If my brain is going out of control and it's telling me things that aren't true, if somebody can help me with that, I'm going to let them. Because the truth is there's no amount of counseling that will turn off the chemicals raging in your brain. But there is some medication that can do that. If you believe that a good Christian won't do that, I'm assuming you're not taking medication for anything else in your life. I'm assuming you're not taking any cough medicine. I'm assuming you're not taking any antibiotics. I'm assuming you're not shooting up for allergies, which, you know, allergy medicine is what I mean by that. But I'm assuming that you're not doing that. Because if you are, you don't really believe that a good Christian just prays about it. I want to encourage you, let's not let this conquer us. Let's go to the one that can heal us. So that we can be on purpose and on mission for him. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your love. And I thank you that you were there for us and with us. Even there in the difficult times of our lives. Father, I pray that you would help those in this room that are struggling with depression right now. If it's circumstantial, I pray that you give them wisdom and discernment to make good choices moving forward. Father, if it's chemical, I pray that you would give them the courage to speak to their physician. And their physician will be able to see what's going on and to help. Father, let us be a people that are not immune from brokenness, but we have been healed from it and we have overcome it so we can lead others to overcome their own brokenness in their lives. Give us hearts of compassion and love for those that need it and let us receive the compassion and love when we are in need of it ourselves. We thank you for your love and your gift of grace on the cross for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.